Yo, what's up? Welcome to Stronger Than You Think, a Ngahere Talks podcast. Stronger Than You Think is a South Auckland story about the come up of creators, innovators and entrepreneurs, building the whanau and the movement known as Tukua. That's how long I've been on ya. Alright, kia ora everybody and welcome to episode 2 of Stronger Than You Think, the Ngahere Talks podcast about Tukua, commissioned by Akina for the Impact Initiative. So today we're going to talk about the pains and pleasures of social procurement. So Tukua is a part of Ngahere communities in such an important way um, and you kind of got to understand the journey of Ngahere to understand the journey of Tukua. Um, and Ngahere was founded as a social enterprise in order to enter into a partnership with a bunch of big organisations. So through Auckland Council, the Southern Initiative, um, AT, so Auckland Tourism Events and Economic Development, and through them, the Grid Auckland team, and then also Panaku Development. So there was this whole process that we had to go through as a yeah. small um, local business in order to enter into this partnership um, and to open and operate Te Hao Manako, which is a co-working and innovation space in, in South Auckland. Um, so we're going to chat a little bit today, uh, myself and Melanie Tautalanoa. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. So, um, you know, I think it would be, it'd be cool, Bob, if you speak to the process of, of moving from Bob and Bob um, and going through the procurement process as a small business and how tedious that was, the actual just the whole process. Talk us through that, what that was like. Yeah, cool. So, I mean, Bob and Bob Creative was the business that we started together um, as best mates, a uh, business focused on um, impact storytelling, using today's digital platforms, helping organisations that are making an impact. Um, and out of that, we found ourselves in a position where the business was experiencing some growth and there was an opportunity to look at how we move out of our working from home into an office space and what that yeah. might look like. And at the same time, chats were happening with um, staff members at the Southern Initiative and Auckland Council around this idea to start up a maker space and a co-working space to help build the kind of maker city vision that TSI had and the innovation kind of visions that AT have and stuff like that. So um, I got invited into some of these conversations that were going on there and, and participated in like a co-design process with different staff members and other people from the community um, and we started to really design something that I got really excited about yeah um, and then one of I think the first uh, the first real um, I guess the first thing that happened that made me really frustrated was that after all that kind of I had invested into the process you know it was all my free time all of my ideas um, all of a sudden the door got closed in my face and we were now going to go for a procurement process and I wasn't allowed to engage with staff at council anymore. And that was really, really frustrating, especially because the procurement process was about an idea that I had helped them design. Yeah, well. Based off a lot of things that I had learnt and that I knew. I wasn't the only person, but I had a big role to play in that. Yeah. So, so that was really frustrating. Um, so I kind of had to just swallow, swallow the t- harden up pill 
um, and decide whether or not we wanted to jump into this. And, and as always, um, timelines with Auckland Council or timelines with big organisations always take longer than you think. Yeah. Um, and it just kept getting pushed out further and further and further. And then all of a sudden, um, it was ready to go and there was this humongous procurement process that was slapped in front of our, our faces, essentially. I mean, that's a bit of a harsh word, but it was there. And just the amount of reading that had to be done... Um, then the amount of kind of processing and proposing that needed to go into um, how would Bob and Bob Creative deliver on this concept, um, it was exhausting. It was. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of effort. Um, from my perspective, I felt like a lot of it was unnecessary, and I was being told by council that it was a really innovative process and it was a kind process. Um, and that was tough. It was. And it was tough because I found that people weren't really willing to understand from my perspective how hard it was as a small business, as a small business owner, someone who didn't have access to all these resources. Yeah, you chuck a procurement process like that at Fletcher's, they're going to fly through it. They've got the With resource the and the team, yeah, to do it. But I was literally doing it on my own in, in my home office, crying at night sometimes because it was so frustrating. Did they? Did you ever get the sense that they felt like you know, or that, you know, it was kind of like, just suck it up. Like, you should be grateful that you even have this opportunity. Absolutely, and the language that came across was that it was it was a privilege to be able to ha- have this opportunity with with Auckland Council. And I always felt that a little bit frustrating because it's ratepayers' money, ultimately. It is our money and it's our ideas. Yeah. Um, and one thing that is, t- is tough as well is I would say 90% of the people that I worked with that were in within the council departments were all migrants from overseas. Right. And then you're sitting there as a Māori from Aotearoa being told whether or not your idea is good enough and whether you get the privilege of being able to work with your uh, council. And that was really frustrating. And I think I was always, I've always been really honest in my feedback to to Auckland Council and and I oh man I hope this doesn't come across as me bagging council this is me being honest and reflective about the process of social procurement yeah Um, and I think we've all learned and we've all grown from this process so this is not about pointing fingers at all I think it's like I mean it's highlighting some of the pains that you have to Mm. go through to get to where you need to be and I and I actually totally agree I think that as a result of that um that things have changed and have actually become a little bit more innovative and they are trying harder with those um, incredibly high expectations. Yeah, exactly. And I think that we coined the phrase super early on in our journey that we are pioneers. Yeah. And it it always feels like that and it kind of comes with the territory of pioneering where you have to put in the hard work. Yeah. Like I think of a pioneer, the pioneers into Aotearoa where you had to chop a tree down before you could chop a log, before you could build a house that you could live in. And it feels a little bit like that sometimes because we are paving the way um, and we are coming up against these barriers and we're pointing them out and we're saying that doesn't feel very nice or um, why does it have to be like this? And and it's tough because there's, these organisations are big um, and they, they um, are forceful in their own... Like, this is how it has to be done. There's yeah. no other way for it to do it. So you change, we won't. Um, so that's been that's been tough, but we we got through it in the end. I think one of the other things that was really hard about that is that we were pitted against other um, organisations and actually friends, people that we considered, you know, 
colleagues or we had a relationship with and we were pitted against them through this rigorous process that ended up like putting rifts in those relationships that I think even to this day the relationships are, are never didn't are quite not, recover nah from from that <coughs> that time and I think we could have had a much better collaborative effort if we weren't pitted against each other like that and we could have actually seen the best of each each organization coming into this so yeah that was really frustrating it remains it remains frustrating now so yeah that was where that started and then then we went when we were awarded the the contract I still one other thing I still find today like the fact that it was called a procurement a procurement contract baffles me because they we didn't actually receive any cash we were not being paid for the services. We were going into a partnership with council and we had to bring with us, um, according to our calculations, $120,000 as a small business, as a startup in South Auckland. And that was a huge task for us. Um, so, no, nah, it's not, in my mind, it never was about procurement. It was about partnership. Yeah. Um, and, and it's cool because TSI acknowledge that and this might be a really cool part for Joelle to chime in on. Eh? Joelle kind of led the charge on, on developing Te Hao Manako and um, I give a lot of respect to Joelle for what he was able to achieve yeah. and the fact that he really, he broke down a lot of barriers internally for council to the point where they were even willing to do a process like this and they were willing to go with a startup like Bob and Bob Creative who had nothing. If you looked on paper, we were not, we were not a smart move for council to partner with on a big initiative like that. Yeah. And I, and to this day, I always say I wish that TSI were more um, vocal about what impact they did make internally and what impact or what doors they've opened for us as a small South Auckland business yeah. to get to get to where we are. So, so we're going to have a little bit of a chat to Joelle um, to hear what it was like from his perspective the pains and pleasures of going through this procurement process. Hey, Joelle. Kia ora. How hello. are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. You ready you, to Mano. speak some truth let's do today? It. All right. Let's do let's it. Go. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm prepped. <laughs> <laughs> when it came down to it, when it came down to TSI, like you guys had designed this, this project and you were ready to look for someone to partner with, why did you choose to like put the opportunity out to some of the, s the smaller, I guess, organisations and businesses in South Auckland. Like, why did you guys do that? Yeah, awesome. Um, give a bit of a context first in mm. terms of the journey. Yeah. Um, was it three or four years ago? We um, convened a small collective mm. of entrepreneurs who are really keen to work together. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, a bunch of um, awesome um, social entrepreneurs, of mm. course, including... Bob and Bob, um, yeah. and, and a bunch of um, other local entrepreneurs. And from there, I think the idea was um, one of the areas that they need support with is, is a place um, that they can grow, that they mm. can thrive, that they can experiment, that they can prototype. And there's nothing like that in South Auckland. So yeah. that basically gave us the mandate. So having worked with um, a lot of those different, I guess, organizations or ventures, um, we we had a voice in um, mentioning that to TSI as, um, as a priority to mm. build the um, innovation ecosystem in South Auckland and also the entrepreneurship um, piece. Um, so from there, um, we pitched an idea for a space. Mm. Um, but this time, it's not just a space for entrepreneurs to thrive. 
but also what if it's an innovation space um, rolled into one. Yeah. So you've got uh, potentially a, a creative space and a space for, for entrepreneurs. Um, we couldn't do it alone in TSI. We needed partners mm. to do that for various reasons. One is MTSI is smaller than compared to other council organizations. And we also want to get the, I guess, the expertise and skills and um, I guess influence mm. of um, other council agencies. So we partnered with Panuku and ATEB and pitched the idea of um, um, a co-working space plus makerspace. That was the, I guess, the, the birth of um, Teha or prior to the birth of Teha, that, that was the idea. But even though um, we went through, I guess, that um, journey, uh, we made sure that part of that um, um, process is making sure that whoever the operator would be, they need to be um, local and they need to have the not, not, not necessarily experience, but more of the aspiration mm. and dream of turning something experimental into something bigger. So I think that's the yeah yeah. And so what was that? What was that like for you, being someone inside council, trying to essentially m- make a whole new process or a whole new opportunity open up? Like, was that hard? Um, two years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> down the drain no it, it's it was an interesting um, a learning opportunity yeah. um, trying to navigate both the regulation and compliance side of things mm. and also the innovation and um, the, the emergence of a new culture yeah um, so you've got these different units um, in council that I need to deal with mm. and I had no clue that I need <laughs> to do those things or try to set up a team that would um, that comprise of different council representatives yeah. from Panuku, from AT, from corporate properties, from, from TSI, from legal, from mm. finance. So it's more like a, a team of um, maybe 10 or 12 wow. and different um, units inside council that I need to get permission or approval um, mm. to take it to the next stage. So it took me about, I think, three Three to six months, mm. um, just to socialize the idea yeah, or yeah. pitch the idea to those various decision makers. But once once um, um, it's out there, um, you need a champion. You need mm. a champion inside council. And fortunately, our CPO head back then. Mm. Um, what was um, champion. Oh, neither can yeah. I. I met him that Jim. way. Yeah, yes, Jim. 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 Um, um, champ- What's up, Jim? Um, champion um, this initiative because he can also see that um, entrepreneurs need to represent in South Auckland. Yeah. So yeah. We, we, I had him um, to back me, back yeah, me awesome. up, um, in terms of um, leadership um, decision making and the next level, which would be the middle managers mm. um, approving um, the space, um, consent for the, the setup, mm. um, op- operations funding, mm. um, and then bringing in um, AT as our partner for the program side of things. Yeah. So it wasn't easy. Mm. Um, sometimes there were a um, clash of, um, I guess, thinking Yeah. Um, that we really want this to be um, like experimental, mm. to, to grow as we uh, learn, as we grow, mm. and as, as we move on. But of course, in council, there, there, there are some areas where they want to see specific outputs checked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the balance How of did that. you get over that? Um, Did you just I, lie? I really <laughs> don't know. 
Um, so one is, I guess, having that champion yeah. um, to back the idea up. And also being, I guess, being smart mm. in um, documentation. Yeah. Um, so even with the... Um, is it ex- I can't remember. It's, it's not the expression of interest. It's the proposal. Mm. Um, the RFP. Yeah, the RFP. Uh, we need to put in there that the what we're trying to set up is experimental. Mm. It's um, it's it's a prototype mm. of uh, different ideas coming together, and that carries risk. Mm. If they can understand the risk, um, taking on the risk and then the outcomes associated with taking on the risk, then um, they understand it better. Mm. Um, again, yeah, it, it's about, it, it's not just managing the risk, but I guess um, trying to identify those risks, communicating it with them, that innovation happens if you take some risk or mm. some uncertain things that you're not sure about. Mm. But you take it anyway, yeah, and yeah. Um, you plunge in there. That's where change happens. Mm. So I think it's just um, it's it's also a matter of um, echoing that mm. and making that known, um, explicit in the RFP document that this is what we do, and these are the risks we're, we're willing to take. Yeah, mm. awesome. Good on you, man. So now, if you um, reflect back, like you managed to pull it off, you got all of these partners on board. The RFP happened, the procurement process happened, you got an um, operational partner, everything got going. If you reflect back on that process now, what are like a couple of things that you would probably do differently? Right, well, probably. Well, what um, did you learn? The same yes, kind of yep. question, I suppose. Do you have a couple of hours? <laughs> <laughs> try to try um, few, mainly yes. the key ones or bullet point okay, a bunch. Key ones. Um, if I were to do it again, mm. I would do the RFP differently. Yeah. Um, from the onset. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> um, I would um, put into practice a, a, a true, authentic co-design principle mm. where we walk with a potential partner even from um, the ideation stage or the design stage. Mm. So if I were to do it again, um, even from the thinking side of things, um, what what's the problem that we're trying to solve mm. and what the potential solution is, I would have that partner already walking hand in hand. Yeah. Um, and then... It's a really great insight. Yes. Um, create a, create a syst- uh, organization system around it. So mm. it, can be, it can be a partnership or a cooperative or, or a foundation. Um, by doing it that way, we, we probably won't need to go through all the council hoops. Mm. in terms of um, compliance because we're doing it together then it becomes on the onset an experiment Mm. um, trying to figure things out Um, also I think the RFP has produced a little bit of friction Mm. with um, some the the community in South Africa it's it's a small community Mm. everyone knows each other yeah yeah Um, imagine um, if we can redo that and from the onset um, have a partner Mm. um, already walking hand in hand with the different uh, council or other partners then it would be more collaborative in nature yeah yeah in terms of the um, contract deliverables I think it needs to be more 
flexible mm. and aligned to outcomes, but not necessarily um, outputs. Outputs. Mm. So I think we need to um, agree on where we want to go, but how to get there. I think I think it needs to be more flexible mm. if you're going to put specific. Um, output indicators within the contract um if i were to do it again i'm gonna remove that mm, yeah and i know there's a i don't know exactly what it's called but there's this cool tool that i've used a couple of times and it has like these different it's like you set the horizons mm. the horizon lines and so there might be the first horizon might be like the trees that you can see across the mm. field so that that's kind of the first stage that you want to reach. Then the second horizon are the hills right. that are behind there, and then the third horizon is the mountain. Mm. And so you know what they are, sure. but you're not really sure how you're going to get how there and what you're going to encounter Correct. on the way. Yep. Um, and I really like that way of being able to still have because you still you still have to have contracts, eh? and you still have to mitigate risk, and you you still have to have deliverables. But I found that that's quite a nice way to set some vision and set mm. some direction without having to know. Oh, there's actually we're going to have to cross three rivers. Correct. <laughs> it's like yeah. a, mm. there's like a wasp nest over there, and then like because mm. you, you're never actually going to know what's, what's on the journey. Especially with the with an idea like um, Teha, mm. and then Ngari community is coming in to um, be the operator partner. You keen for some online shopping? Me too. You got to check out Kone, Aotearoa's marketplace for Aotearoa brands, kind of like Kmart for Aotearoa products. Yeah. Check it out at www.cornet.nz. So, I mean, we've been involved with over the years with some really cool organisations and been able to partner and work with a lot of different people. And um, a couple of those, MWDI and Takoha, why don't you tell us a little bit about how they were involved in the early stages and how crucial... Um, a role they played there, Bob? Yeah, so um, like I said, we had to bring in 120k based on our business model and our calculations. Um, and we didn't have anything. <laughs> One k. Like as, as Bob and Bob, we were just living, you know, hands and mouth essentially. And then, I mean, we decided to set up Ngahiri Communities to separate it from Bob and Bob and to bring some um, more people to the table that could strengthen our team and, and give us more skill sets and expertise. Shout out to Bodhi and Andy and Kippy who um, joined the party with us there. Um, so 120k, well where are we going to find that? Well, that was the question. Um, and I had been real fortunate to be invited into the Takoha, the first cohort of Takoha. And through that I met um, Linda, the accountant and the manager of the um, business loans at MWDI um, wow. and so through those chats that I had with them I was aware of this um, $50,000 up to $50,000 small business loan that you could get through Māori Women's Development Inc. Um, so I started the process in, in getting ready for that and then Takoha just happened to just happened to be perfect timing for us so it was a collaboration between Pledge Me which is a crowdfunding platform, and then Māori Women's Development Inc. And yeah. looking at how crowdfunding be could become more, um, are used more by Māori. Right. Um, so we, essentially that's what we did. We got a 50k loan from MWDI. We had a 60k target on um, on Takoha to do a crowdfunding campaign. Um, and we hit that, hit the ground running with both of those because the, the timelines become super tight because of the, 
the nature of how the pro- procurement process went and how long it took council to actually get the contract ready. And then literally the window between the lease of the building, the signing of the contract, and obviously you need to get it open as soon as you can because yeah. you need to get money coming in the door. It was honestly within a few weeks. And so we had to really manage everything really well. So we were essentially doing a crowdfunding campaign and crowdfunding is about asking, it's building a crowd or building a community around your concept and getting people to support or who support your concept or your kaupapa, giving them an opportunity to invest into what you're doing financially, yeah. whether it's 10 bucks or 10,000 bucks. Um, that's kind of what crowdfunding is. The secret to it is having a crowd ready to go. Yeah. But we didn't have that. We didn't have that luxury of time. We literally had to build a crowd and raise the funds at the exact same time over two weeks while also setting up the building um, and onboarding staff and doing all the processes that you need, which are (laughs) a lot, to run a building. Um, so it was an exhausting. It was an exhausting process. I'm exhausted just remembering <laughs> the process. Actually, I need a nap now. <laughs> it was. It was, it was a lot of. It was a lot of work. Um, but we managed. We didn't quite hit our 60k target with that, but we got to 40k. Yeah. Did we get to 40k? Felt like we got slightly over. Or 50. I can't even remember now. Early 40s. Yeah. My memory. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so we had the loan, we had the takoha funding, and then between a few of us and the team, we all put in a little bit of cash as well. Um, and that got us, I think we got to a total of 100k. So we were 20k short of our target, but it was still enough to get us going yeah, um, and yeah. get us rolling. We didn't feel the pinch of that 20k short till, <laughs> till we were a few months in where we almost bottomed out. <laughs> 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 and we were saved by the bro. So I think those if it wasn't for those two initiatives, I don't think we would have raised the capital that we needed to get going and yeah. it all would have been over before it even began. Yeah. So access to capital, real capital as well, um, is super important for the success, I think, of of Maori Maori initiatives. And then came opening the actual doors. What was that like, Bob? It was hectic. It was intense. It was fun. Um, it was like climbing Mount Everest and finally getting to the top because <laughs> there were so many impossibilities that, you know, seeming impossibilities that were before us mm. and then we had slowly got through one by one by one and we finally got to opening and um, it was – and like as, as you mentioned, we had a lot going on at the time as well. Mm. Uh, it wasn't like we could just focus on the opening. We were still – getting the funds that we needed to make sure we could open and um and it was just it was full on eh those there was a couple of weeks where it was just all hands on deck every friend that we had ever had <laughs> from primary school kindergarten <laughs> <laughs> just met <laughs> them outside build? yeah <laughs> literally just met them outside yeah eh? um, we had a working bee to yeah. um, build a bunch of the um pallet furniture and stuff and there was this guy clay who hung around the area he was a homeless guy um and he was there all day he was in there he kept he hung around for a couple of months after that he did that was pretty cool but yeah i think i think one of the things that was like we were saying before one of the amazing things that kept us going through all of these these like challenges was the fact that the opportunity that tsi had put before us 
was really cool. Yeah. It was really exciting. And though we still had to come to the party and we had to have some real skin in the game, um, council was also bringing uh, a huge stepping stone into a business opportunity that we... I, I feel like they very rarely come along, the, yeah. the types of opportunities that they were offering us. So, And we just couldn't let that go without giving it a really good crack. Yeah. Um, so all of this stuff took place in 2018, so it's still pretty... Not that not that long ago at all. Yeah. Oh, one of the other challenges that we faced was the fact that there are um, essentially two brands that are associated with this building that we're in and this movement that we're trying to create. Yeah. And, and that was that has been hard to navigate. It's got easier and easier, eh? But I think as we've developed trust mm. um, and built relationship, you know, then trust has grown and that has made it easier. But in the beginning. Um, we were still getting to learn each other and uh, and still figuring out actually what does this look like mm. and everyone had different ideas and um, yeah it was definitely tricky to navigate those uh, you know those waters eh but like what did the partnership actually look okay that I mean we had done it on a legal basis and it was all bound in a contract and yeah whose fault was it if things fell apart. But we didn't actually know how to work what together. What does the website look like? What is the branding going to be on the building? Whose name, like all of that stuff needed to be Yeah, and who was responsible for it. And there was a lot of uh, assumptions that existed within our partnership. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, the toughest one was that, the, the dual branding. And I mean, understandably from council, they wanted their brand to Hao Monaco on the building. Mm-hmm. Um, from us, I mean, I learned pretty early on that we, as Ngahere, had no power over the Te Hao Manako brand. Yeah. So I was, I made a business decision to build our Ngahere brand because that's what we were in control of and that's what we had decision-making power over and what would last beyond Te ha if something happened and we weren't able to make it work. But that put a real spanner in the works because I think <laughs> council's expectation was that we were going to build their brand. Um, and that was really tough and there had never been anything in the contract about that. So all of a sudden there were two brands being put out to the public. That They weren't conflicting, it was just confusing, eh? It was really confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so that process of building trust, um, I think that's a really important thing to to be aware of and I think even when you're thinking social procurement across the board especially if you're trying to invest in something that makes a generational impact which is what what Teha is trying to do it's trying to reverse some of the inequalities and yeah and help bring up essentially a generation after generations of um, flow-on effects from oppression and things like that so yeah. um, we're in it for the long haul and the ability to build trust um for us, for people that are doing it out of our love for it and our desire to make a change, working alongside people who, though they have a heart for it, it's still just a job. Yeah. And that has been tough and breaking down some of those mindsets. But then on the flip side, building some really cool relationships with some really cool people and having like, uh, it feels like an army of supporters. Yeah, definitely. Um, as we work through. And so that's been like a double-edged sword, eh? The frustration of building trust but then the benefits of building trust and, yeah. and having really cool partners. And even now I say to people, like, we're in a partnership with, with TSI and ATEED and Panuku and all of that. Um, 
and it comes with it comes with its challenges, but it's still worth it to us. I, yeah. s- I still think the benefits of what we get by being aligned with those brands, but also aligned with the people in those organisations. And so I think relationship and trust should always be, it always has to be important. Yeah. So one of the people from um, from AT that we work with really closely is Katrina, Katrina Stewart. We love Katrina Stewart. We do love Katrina. And so she's part of the team at, at Grid AKL. Um, and she's been a huge part of helping us build this this trusted relationship and, and helping build a future for Te Hao Manukau. So Okay, Katrina. So we had a couple of topics we thought would be good to chat about with you. Um, I was thinking, like, so what has it been like? be cool to hear from your perspective, Katrina, what that journey of building, I guess, trust and developing our partnership has been like for you. Yeah, I mean, developing the trust, I think um, there's always got to be that high level of trust at the beginning of any any relationship and I think what felt so right for me and my team was that our values were so aligned Mm. and I just knew that instinctively you know intuitively I just I just know that um that we are really aligned in terms of our values and the things that are so important to you and the building um the relationships and how your whole your whole ethos your whole purpose is to help these young entrepreneurs and creators of Monaco. So it totally aligns with um, Grid Auckland. It totally aligns with ATED. And that's where, I don't know, the trust was never an issue. We mm. just knew that our values were aligned and therefore we, were, we had a common goal, common set, you know, common values, and we were on this mission um, to achieve quality jobs and to really, yeah. you know, build this entrepreneurial spirit. That's what we're on about. Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that I've noticed too um, that I kind of wanted to bring up, which I named it myself, but this thing called, what I've called benefactor syndrome. Um, so one of the experiences that we've had as a, a small local social enterprise that's gone into a social procurement initiative with a big organisation is that it's, we're constantly being made to feel like we are indebted to them for what they've done for us. Right. Um, and there's been multiple things along the way. I don't feel like pointing them out is going to be helpful to the conversation, but I guess just being able to communicate from our perspective how tough that is to con- constantly being um, reminded or held back because there's almost this entitlement from a benefactor that because they set you up or because they invested um, time or energy or whatever into the initiative that you are perpetually in debt to them. Right. And it's probably a, a mindset that's it's, it's real. Like it really exists. And like we fought against that yeah. along the way. And um, I think it's, it's – I don't know, eh? it's a difficult like – does it come with assumptions again? Hey, you know, like they're just assuming mm. that you, they can have unbridled access to you forever. Yeah, I think so. And I think like some of it comes to that knowing how our partnership works. Um, and like you said, these, these assumptions and these expectations that by us signing a contract means that anything that council asks of us from here on out, we must do. And I just refuse to buy into that. Yeah. Um. The fact that there's no real cash exchange. There are benefits. There are cash benefits. But we 
we are not getting paid to do what we do by Auckland Council. We actually pay council um, to cover our portion of the, the lease. Um, we cover all the rest of the expenses. Yeah. Um, and the little bit of cash that we do get from council is directly fed into contract delivery, which is separate from the procurement, the agreement itself. So yeah. um, I, find, I, I constantly find that really really hard to reconcile when they just keep asking for things they ask for ip they ask for your ideas they ask for you know they challenge the way that i speak freely about the experience and ask me not to say things and and i've had to be really honest to them and say are you trying to control what i say where they were like no i'm not and i'm like good because you have no right to do that yeah and so there's all of these kind of unsaid things that sometimes i wonder is it because we're female is it because we're maori female yeah is it just because they're council and we're not and that's really tough and i think that's something i really want to continue to challenge and i'm not i'm not pointing people out and villainizing them at all i'm just saying this is something that happens i mean it's not till you're on the receiving end that you can feel what that feels like and, and the frustration of that yeah, that whole, I mean, benefactor syndrome was really, it wasn't something that I had considered or that we had considered. But I can see how at the beginning it was a very sort of transactional relationship and you had to sign contracts and both parties had to be very formal about it. But I've never considered our relationship with Nahiri as being that sort of um, transactional, contractual type relationship. To me, it's always been... Um, the most incredibly enriching partnership. Mm. So, you know, when you actually ask that benefactor syndrome, I thought, oh, gosh, what is that? But I can completely see from your point of view um, how that must feel. It's like when Mel said, yeah, please, sir, can I have some more? Um, <laughs> because we just don't, We, I can see how that must feel really awkward sometimes, but I just don't see it like that at all. We, we definitely feel... Um, that it's a true partnership and that we're actually working on something together. You happen to be the orchestrator mm. of our plans. Mm. And so for me, it's been, um, you know, we actually get a huge amount out of it. And me personally, I get a huge amount out of my relationship with Nahiri. Just, the, just being in the environment and, you know, having a small amount of contact with, um, the people that are on the program, it's so rewarding. It's just we, we just wouldn't have an opportunity to listen to their stories and find out about these highly creative, amazing people. We just wouldn't have that opportunity. So Tuku has given us, and our overall you know, general relationship with Nahiri has given us that opportunity to tap into this gold, you know, this absolute magic and this little world full of, creative, incredibly passionate, bilingual, super entrepreneurs. It's been, you know, it's hugely rewarding for us. And I, you know, I have to say all credit too, because how cool is it when you come up against personality types like that within partnerships mm. or within close relation, working relationships that you are able to crack? Yeah. Do you know, and get them to actually see, mm. oh, yeah. I see what you're talking about now. Yeah, like yeah. That's, that's definitely been a case, the case, you know, with some of the people that we've been working with over the years and, yeah. and you know, being able to flip their view and their mindset, mm. um, which I think has been 
and you said you're just going to keep challenging that and I think that's the flip side that's the pleasure of it yeah um yeah when they can it validates you like oh yes exactly and I think it really started to turn around um and like it was really cool to see some different personalities come into the mix and people that had a different narrative that were like no, whatever you want to do, we're going to support that decision. Yeah. Um, and once that balance kind of started to come right and we started to have, yeah, people that were challenging what we were doing, but also people that were just going to be like straight up, we support you. You guys are on the ground. You're doing the hard work. If you think this is the way it should go, then we're behind you 100%. And I think seeing that shift happen, yeah. that, that's been really cool and that's really made it all worth it. Empowers you, eh? It really, really does. So, I mean, I feel like that was a bit of a heavier episode. Um, it definitely gets a little bit more positive and stuff, but um, social procurement is a pleasure, but it's quite painful, yeah. um, and it still is. And so there's some really strong things in there that that help to highlight uh, how we can improve moving forward and how we can open more opportunities for small local businesses like ourselves yeah. to, to crack it and um, help make some change, so... Whoop, whoop. That's us for this episode. We'll catch you in episode number three, which is uh, learning as you go. Peace out. Peace out. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. We just want to give a quick shout out to the Arkina Foundation and the Impact Initiative for helping make this podcast happen. Check them out at arkina.org.nz or theimpactinitiative.org.nz. Also, you can reach out to us at Ngahiri Communities. You find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Spotify, anywhere. Just check us out. Catch you soon.